This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse. I recently had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Dr. Rich Levitan. He's a self-proclaimed airway enthusiast, and he's rather legendary in the field of emergency medicine. He runs multiple airway courses around the country and the world. And Rich had a lot to say, so let's dive right in. First, I wanted to know how he approaches a patient with a difficult airway. Well, you know, it's interesting, first off, the terminology you use. We, we use that term difficult, and I think it's better to use the term challenging because the mindset of how you approach a, a challenge is very much integral to how you handle it. So, for instance, many people see the large obese person in respiratory distress, and they start focusing on the difficulty oh my God, they are an oxygenation nightmare. Oh my God, they are an anatomic nightmare. And now I think about it, and I like to say that, you know, I don't intubate. I do epiglottoscopy followed by laryngoscopy followed by tube delivery. Well, if you step back and you look at this person in respiratory distress who's massively obese, you know, how do you deal with the big picture? The way to think about it, I believe, is to compartmentalize the problem and incrementalize it. So, you know, I first want to address oxygenation, which in the morbidly obese means you sit them upright as much as you can. You start blowing nose up the nose. If necessary, you pull on their mandible. But the pressurization of the nasopharynx shoots open the soft palate, shoots oxygen down into the trachea. Because you've sat them upright, I tilt the bed down. You know, I want their panis forward. I don't want it impacting on their FRC. But I want their diaphragm to come down. I want those alveoli to open. And what I am doing by doing that is I'm inherently opening the upper airway and I'm inherently opening the lower airway. So once you then solve the problem and you begin to realize, oh, I can get them from that pulse ox of 60 up to, you know, 80s, 90s, 100 if necessary. I throw in CPAP, you know, or BVM with PEEP. But once you solve the oxygenation problem, you can then jump into the intubation problem. So I, I now approach it with a different mindset that has made me less anxious about it. And what I've discovered is that if you do that, your performance goes up. You have this almost kind of uh, zen-like detachment from the situation that you can see it more plainly. Because I think what happens is we've built up all this hype about prediction and difficulty and whatnot, that what it does is it freaks people out, their performance goes to crap, and then they fail to make reasoned decisions you know, what I, I've learned about, quote, the difficult airway is I try no longer to look at the big picture. I just work on the next step. But, you know, before I'm jumping in, I'm pre-oxygenating as best as I can. I'm doing what I call resuscitation sequence intubation. I'm timing my intubation to the resuscitation. And I'm also looking down the road thinking about what do I need to do clinically next to take care of this patient. Instead of worrying about algorithmic thinking, I think about prioritization, and the prioritization of the airway is simply oxygenate, be cognizant of and recognize the hazard of fluids, and then on rare occasion, ventilation. 98% of the time, I would argue, the emergency airway is about oxygenation and fluids. So everything I do, positioning, my timing, the drugs, the closed-loop communication with the nurse, waiting 60 seconds to put in my laryngoscope, head elevated positioning during laryngoscopy. Everything is about how to, you know, O's up the nose, no deset. Uh, it's about these two simple priorities, oxygenation and avoidance of fluids and management of fluids. And then on a rare occasion, 
we need to worry about ventilation. Okay, I like that. So let's not think about it as the difficult airway, but the challenging airway. And let's take it step by step. But we don't always get it right. So what are some common mistakes that physicians make? Well, I mentioned one of them. So resuscitate before you intubate. So resuscitation sequence your intubation. You know, there's a saying that the military has, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And you want to go slower. The errors that a lot of eMERGE docs make in the airway is they jump in instead of thinking it through. You know, a lot of the difficult airway stuff, quote-unquote difficult, we create. So they, they, they jump in without pre-oxygenating people appropriately. You know, you jump in in the trauma patient who's got a heart rate of 150 and a blood pressure of 90. You know, you need to get the blood up. You need to address shock index. Shock index is a very simple thing. It's, you know, heart rate over blood pressure. And if your heart rate is higher than your blood pressure, that could go south when you hit them with an induction agent and a muscle relaxant. So, you know, resuscitation sequence your intubation, optimize oxygenation, address shock before you jump in. Be aware of the fact that there are times when you're going to either have to half your dose or quarter your dose or give no induction agent. We never decrease the dose of muscle relaxants. You always want to use full dose. And in fact, in shock, you need more because your distribution time lengthens. Anyway, resuscitation sequence intubation, prioritization, optimizing oxygenation uh, beforehand, addressing shock. I think those are common errors um, that people make. And then in the task of laryngoscopy, you know, it all begins with how you hold the laryngoscope. Hold the laryngoscope with two fingers. Follow midline with everybody. Uh, I go dead midline, uvula points to epiglottis. With that light grip, I control the tongue. And then I change my grip to go to bimanual. What we were taught, what we were all grown up with, what we were all instructed to do was come in from the right. Now we get to this era of video laryngoscopy where often we stay midline with a hyperangulated blade, for instance. What I want caring for sick and dying people in front of me is I want high reliability and reproducibility and predictability so that I can maintain my calm in the face of stress. And for me, the uvula points to the epiglottis. And when you go midline and you get into that mindset, and then you control the tongue, and then you change your grip. To summarize, resuscitation sequence your intubation. Focus on the oxygenation because that is what kills people. You know, the usual mode of death is hypoxia, and the usual co-conspirator is fluids. Think about shock index, and then pick up the laryngoscope as light as you can, and it's just one step at a time. Those are some excellent pearls. You know, Rich talks a lot about mindset, rising to the challenge instead of getting nervous about how difficult it might be. I wanted to explore this a little more with him. How can we get into that mindset and not let fear get in the way? Well, you know, I think this is something that we don't really address in emergency medicine. You, you can't control what you do with your hands until you control what you do with your head. And, and that's about self-talk and this whole mindset piece, which we've completely under-addressed. I don't think that we've really trained emergency providers, whether they be medics, nurses, or doctors, with controlling how you think in order to do better. You know, what we have made wellness or what we've sort of simplified wellness to be in emergency medicine is, you know, get enough sleep, don't do drugs, 
talk to somebody, have a relationship, you know, work out every now and again. I would argue that fundamental to wellness, fundamental to whether or not you're going to last in emergency medicine, fundamental to whether or not you're going to burn out, is thinking about what's the narrative in your own head as you are engaged in these crisis performance moments when that six-year-old is dying in front of you and the parents are in the room. You know, so what's the narrative in your head and how do you control that? And then how do you address that to actually do your best? One of the things you have to bring is this belief that you're supposed to be there, that this is what you are meant to do. You can't be in the mindset of, oh, I got to worry about my performance. I had a case recently and this young kid was having repetitive seizures. He was seizing for a good half hour. I was flying him out of this tiny little hospital in Colorado, sending him down to the children's hospital. And the parents turned to me and they said, are you comfortable intubating him? And, you know, this is an environment where I have no backup. And you have to control how you think, because if you don't control how you think, it's a very dangerous situation. So, you know, the things I think about in that situation, am I prepared for the challenge? And I reflect on what I have spent the last 25 years of my life doing and how much time I've spent. I think about all the courses I've done. I think about the time I put in. In short, I can say with confidence, am I prepared for the challenge? I couldn't be more prepared for the challenge. I envision my teachers, people I've met all around the world, and I think about them because their wisdom, it's in the room with me. I feel them. I'm prepared for the challenge. My teachers are here with me. I am absolutely 100% convinced that what I am doing for the patient needs to happen. I think that's an important thing. I think sometimes emerge docs feel they're pushed into doing something or maybe they should do this. Maybe If you're sitting on a fence, don't do it. You know, you have to be all in. Once I've committed, it's like, all right, we're doing this, 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 and I just start doing one step at a time. And and that combination of things, I think, helps you control that self-talk. You know, and for me, it's about incrementalizing the tasks so that in my own head, I can get my head around the fact that I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then I look down the road a little bit and I realize, oh, we're halfway there. We fixed this part. We fixed this part. I got this. Like, you have to win in your head before you win with your hands. All excellent points. But what if you don't have the same years of experience that Rich does? How do we approach something when we're less comfortable, less confident? Well, I mean, I I try to incrementalize everything I do now. I, I think about every procedure I do, and I engineer my practice. I control the variables. I have analyze each piece of it. And if there's something that scares the bejeebers out of me, I run at it. You know, you should be honest with yourself that there is no, there's no running and hiding. Uh, Emergency medicine, badness finds you. And it's hard to go through your career knowing that XYZ is something you don't like. You kind of got to run at the things you're uncomfortable at. And I think the challenge of doing procedures on an infrequent basis, procedures that really count. You have to have enough insight into how to do them so that you do them well. When I began to appreciate that airway management wasn't just intubation, it was epiglottoscopy, laryngoscopy, tube delivery. When I began to see how powerful the impact was of picking up the laryngoscope with two fingers, my whole worldview of the thing changed. 
And so I, I think that the issue for those of us doing procedures infrequently is not simply practice. Some people say, oh, well, you just need to do more. But I would argue we also need to do it with insight, and we need to do it with a highly incrementalized approach. Okay, let's recap some of Rich's key points. Think of it as a challenging airway rather than a difficult airway. Prepare yourself mentally and emotionally. RSI is important. That's resuscitation sequence intubation. Resuscitate before you intubate. Optimize oxygenation. Hypoxia kills people. Address shock. And in terms of your laryngoscopy technique, use a light two-fingered grip. Go straight down the middle. Then take it step by step. Intubation is epiglottoscopy, laryngoscopy, and tube delivery. Incrementalize. Mindset is so important. As Rich says, you can't control what you do with your hands until you control what you do with your head. Self-talk is important. Yes, you are prepared. Remember all the training you've had, the courses, the experience, the time, and the wisdom of your teachers and mentors. You have to be all in. And if there's something that scares you, run at it. For more, check out Dr. Levitan's website, airwaycam.com, and you can learn more about his courses in Yellowstone, Baltimore, and Australia. There was too much to fit into just one heartbeat, so stay tuned for a later episode where we'll talk about the pediatric airway and surgical airway. As always, you can find us on social media at Impulse Podcast, and thanks again to our department and to OM Audio Productions for making this all possible.